Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, a show that might just get you dreaming about a different lifestyle. If you're new to the show, subscribe on iTunes, and don't be afraid to begin with episode one. Don't worry, you'll catch up. And if you've been listening all along, review us on iTunes, won't you? It helps other people discover the show. And if you're in Seattle, right now, July 2015, please come see me, Katie Sewell, performing with my old public radio partner, Steve Scher, at Cafe Nordo in Pioneer Square. Details at cafenordo.com. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we are joined by a guest, Surika Yadav, who's a Singaporean writer and entrepreneur based in Colombo, Sri Lanka. She splits her time between Singapore, where she's from, and Colombo, Sri Lanka, where her husband is from. And they've been there for about two years. And recently she caught my attention because she wrote an article called What It's Like to Be an Invisible Expat for the Wall Street Journal expat blog. And so I decided to call her up in Sri Lanka and ask her to describe how she knows that she's an invisible expat. What, what did she mean by invisible expat? She means that she's an expat living in a country that's not her home country, but all of the locals think that she is local. She looks like she's from there. Ah, I see. That's how. Okay. And Got it. You'll see. I, I asked her to describe how she knows that she's invisible. Let's hear it. Unless you speak to me at first glance, I look like I'm a Sri Lankan, but I'm not Sri Lankan. So therefore, there's that disconnect, I suppose, in the sense that people expect me to be one thing, but I'm not that at all. So what does that mean for you? If people assume that you're a native person, would you say that that works out as a benefit for you most of the time, or is it a negative? I think it's a little bit of both, uh, as is true with most things. I think because sometimes it can lead to misunderstandings, especially in places where speaking the language is a very important part of the culture. And if they expect you to speak the language because you look a certain way and you don't, that sometimes the assumption is that you're choosing not to, that you are being the, the arrogant local who doesn't want to speak the local language. That's one interpretation. And sometimes it's also just um, people don't try as hard to try and communicate with you because they just can't possibly process why you don't speak the language to begin with. It's also, I guess, easier because you, you get to move around without drawing so much of attention to yourself tourist spots, people are less likely to rip you off, to be honest, until you speak, then you're back to square one. But I guess for me, like little things, like because I come from Singapore, which is far more cosmopolitan, I suppose, I, I tend to dress in a very liberal fashion. I wear short shorts or skirts or things that I find comfortable and suitable through the tropical weather, which wouldn't like raise any eyebrows at home. But here, when I do it, I get a lot more attention than, say, if my American counterpart was to do the same, perhaps because, in part, people believe that this person is clearly a Westerner, quote-unquote, therefore they're allowed to dress a certain way, whereas when they see me, 
they assume I'm Sri Lankan and they can't quite figure out why I'm dressed in this manner. If I if I wander out of the compound in a skirt, the stares I get, they're just puzzled on their face. They just look confused. But it hasn't changed how you dress. No, no, it hasn't changed how I dress. I mean, because the heat remains, right? So I, I have to dress for the heat. I can't possibly dress for their looks. Would you say that you really like living there? Is that a spot that you would want to stay? Yeah, I really like living here. It's a beautiful country. My husband is here. My dog is here, very important. It's very nice and it's close to home. I can hop on a flight. I can go home. The fact that it is somewhat culturally similar to the South Asian identity helps a lot. Like they eat curry and rice. They eat with their hands. Those things I have in common. What is your heritage? My father's family comes from the north of India and my mum's family has been Singaporean for about five generations, but they're also ethnically South Asian. So I'm a brown person. Your neighbours, what are they assuming your background is? They're assuming I must be Sri Lankan, which I'm assuming they think I'm Sinhalese. Um, Saman, what do you think? He, he shake, my husband is shaking his head. He has no idea what he is. Oh, he, he says they have no idea what I am. But sometimes they speak to me in Sinhalese, so they assume I'm Sinhalese. But your husband is Sri Lankan, right? My, my husband is Sri Lankan and Sinhalese, yes. So do you have plans to set down roots and learn the language more so that you not only can pass, but you, I don't know if you would ever be considered a local necessarily, but maybe more so? Uh, yeah, in an ideal world, except I'm really, 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 really bad at learning languages. <laughs> That's the one hiccup in this plan. I speak Tamil. A lot of people in, in, in Colombo and in the north of Sri Lanka speak Tamil, in the east as well. So that helps a little bit. Uh, so in certain neighborhoods, I can speak the language. But still, it, it doesn't necessarily fit because I guess accent, again, the way I dress, the way I speak. It doesn't seem enough to bridge. That's fair, right? I mean, in order to be a local, you have to be a local. It doesn't affect me enough that I'm motivated to go out and learn a language. You end your article by coming to the conclusion that it's a privileged perspective that you hold. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's really interesting. You see things as an, as an inside-outsider, more or less at first glance, and, and part of the landscape. But the truth is, I'm not off this landscape. Can you give me a couple more concrete examples of when you would be able to pass that would be a benefit for you and when it is not a good situation? Well, I think like the most obvious example, which I put in the article as well, is that uh, when we go around the country and we try and see tourist sites, there is a huge difference in price, entrance fee for um, tourists and locals which I suppose is fair if you are a tourist who's coming to Sri Lanka once in your life, but if you are effectively living here and you want to go regularly, it adds up. In those situations, it becomes easier for me to pass off as local, obviously, because if they're just glancing into the car, they see a bunch of what they believe to be Sri Lankans, and I can then drive on into the safari. So those are positives. I guess the negatives is just that sometimes there's that disconnect from what people want you to be and what you are. It's persistent. I know that in your article, one of the guys you interviewed said that people occasionally would call him a fake foreign devil. Yeah, yeah, he's Chinese in China. And I think like that's the thing, right? I started writing this article because I spoke to so many friends of mine who are also 
have similar experiences, you know, like of Chinese descent who went on to study or work in China, obviously not Chinese because they are Chinese, but aren't from China, and, and therefore they also have similar experiences where people kind of expect them to speak Mandarin fluently or in a certain accent or, or culturally can't comprehend the things that they do, which I suppose is similar to my short skirts. Yeah, and so then I realized, oh wait, wow, this is obviously something that's happening more and more because more and more expats, you know, are becoming, uh, basically, the face of the expat is changing. As we become more globalized, then you have a lot more people who look like locals, who aren't locals. It's interesting that you bring that up. We actually did another show about that off of another article that somebody wrote where he was making the argument that the term expat in his opinion, was only reserved for people who were from Western white cultures and that everybody else was perceived as either an immigrant or a migrant or something like that, whether or not that was true. Now, <laughs> when we discussed it, we decided that we disagreed with him. What would you have to say about that? No, I think he has a valid point. I think a lot of people think of expat and they think of Americans or Europeans, definitely. And I think in, in some ways that the there is some unfairness, I suppose, in the way people are treated. In Singapore, for example, a lot of articles cover this quite extensively. Like, you know, like if you come and work there from India, you are seen as just a migrant worker, so to speak. An American consultant is seen as an expat. So I think that does exist. But I do agree with you that I think it, need, it is changing because there's just so many more people. The face of the expat has to change. I'm not sure if it's changed yet. I'm not sure if everyone is comfortable or makes this assumption yet, but I think eventually we will get there because the reality on the ground is the expat is no longer white. I find that it's a shared experience, the idea of the invisible expat. And I think it, it ties up, ties a lot to what you pointed out as well, that this is just the beginning, I think. And so perhaps as time goes on, we become less and less invisible and just the new face of the expat. I think, like, I mean, the truth is also the world is becoming more and more globalized, and then the differences between you and anybody in any given city is decreasing, you know? So really, after all, everybody's watching Game of Thrones. Does it really matter where you are? So that's Suvidika Yadav, Singaporean writer, who wrote the article, What It's Like to Be an Invisible Expat for the Wall Street Journal's Expat Blog, which you can find a link to at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Or, you know, if you want to just look it up, it's blogs.wsj.com slash expat. And I got to say, there's a lot of good articles there. <laughs> a lot. Well, what, what's interesting to me about that blog is just there's so many different points of view. As living in Europe, you know, as an expat in Europe, I tend to only have the European point of view. Whereas on that blog, you, know, you get a lot more of a worldview. Expats in, in Asia, expats in Africa. And so I've, I've learned a lot, I think from that alone. Yes, they call themselves a hub for expats and global nomads, which is a nice way of putting it. It's interesting though, when you uh, interview somebody in Colombo, Sri Lanka, and you're in Seattle, besides the tape quality, which is not great because of the internet connections being what they are, it also was 7 p.m. here in Seattle when we talked, and it was 7.30 a.m. when for her the very next day. So we wow. were in totally different places at that point. That's about as far away as you can get, I think. I know. She's barely awake and I'm barely awake because I've been working such a long day at that point. So anyway, I do think she said some really great things, though. 
about the changing face of the expat and what it's like to navigate the world when you're invisible. Yeah, it's something that I personally have never had to encounter, as we've talked about before, because I don't look Italian. I don't really look European, even though I could pass as a European from another country. But I think there's something about my face and the way I dress and the way I act that's just, it's kind of obvious that I'm, that I'm a North American. So I've never experienced it, but um, I can see how, you know, it would be a little bit frustrating. Do you think, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, but do you think from an outsider's perspective that when I was in Italy, people would have thought I was Italian? Or do you think that they knew I wasn't? I have a very dark complexion with olive skin tone. So I sort of, and I'm also not that tall. So I'm sort of in the same bracket as Italians. But what do you think? I think that a foreigner, like an American coming to Italy, might have seen you and assumed you were Italian. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe an Italian would do. I mean, there are times when people come up to me, even though it's hard to believe, they hear my accent and they say, oh, you're not Italian. And I'm like, oh, didn't think that you would have thought that I was. But, uh, you know, I mean, Italians are not as, how do I put this? I mean, they're not, you know, you can't look at Italians and think that they're all going to look the same because it's not cookie cutter, dark hair, dark complexion anymore. There's, and maybe it never was, you know, there are blonde Italians. My mother-in-law is a redhead. My sister-in-law is blonde. So you've got Italians who have lots of different physical features. I think the thing that would have given you away to me would be the way you dress. You don't dress like an Italian. The pink tennis shoes. Yeah. The, fl- the flip flops, the fleece. The zippered sweaters. No. Yes, we talked about that. I do not own a bunch of zippered sweaters, by the way. <laughs> you make me sound like a crazy person. Yes, I only wear sweaters with zippers. No buttons. No clasps. It's just too difficult. It's too complicated. Um, it's You know, it's hard for me to say as a, as a foreigner myself, as an expat myself, it's hard to say what an Italian would think looking at you because I'm not an Italian. Um, not yet. Well, what would Claudio say, do you think? Claudio's there. Ask him. I'll have to wait till he walks back back in. I don't know. He's somewhere. Okay. I can't get up at this point without help. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's because you're so pregnant. Yes, very, very <laughs> Your much. baby is large. Yeah, bigger than average, I think. I'm pretty sure. But yes. anyway. Um, that'll, that'll be fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, yeah. But what was I going to say? Um, you Did you feel any of the... Obviously, she's probably been in Sri Lanka longer than you were in Rome. And she was also probably more integrated in society, being that as she was married to a local. But nevertheless, you know, you did say that sometimes you you felt like you passed for an Italian. Did you ever feel any negative sides to that? Or was it only a positive thing for you? Because she clearly had negatives that might have been that very cultural, the very big cultural difference between Singapore and Sri Lanka. I don't know. I mean, that's the, that's why I was asking you the question of whether or not you actually thought that I passed, because I think that if anything, I was more ignored. I must not have stood out in any way. I mean, I don't remember them necessarily treating me like like I was a local, but I don't remember ever feeling like they would have noticed that I wasn't. Do you know what I mean? Here's the thing about Trastevere, which is the neighborhood that both of us lived in. I still live in. It is a neighborhood that is absolutely full of expats and American students. So the Italians who live or work in Trastevere are very, very used to seeing foreigners constantly, especially young foreigners. And 
they probably wouldn't bat an eyelash at seeing someone from any part of the world because it's so common. First of all, Rome is a very international city to begin with. It's full of tourists at any time of year. If you were to have gone to a tiny little town in southern Italy that no tourists ever go to and basically has no expats, you would have turned heads. Maybe not just on site, but as soon as you opened your mouth and it was clear that you were a foreigner, I'm sure that people would have treated you a little bit differently because expats are much more rare, obviously, in places like that. The thing I have noticed is that no matter where I go, in most of the places I've traveled, I don't feel like I stand out. Well, you haven't been to Finland. That's true. But I mean, even <laughs> in, in even Finland, in Asia, you would stand out. Even in Asia, I, I obviously I look like a Westerner in Asia, but I at least have the advantage of being their height. I'm only five one, and I have the dark coloring, and I'm also relatively thin. So when you look across the landscape of a sea of people, yeah, you're not a six. The foot only thing that really points me out. Exactly. The only thing that points me out is that my hair isn't stick straight Mm -hmm. and beautifully glossy like most Asian people's hair is. And yes, I do envy your hair if you're Asian descent. That's like the only thing that really, from the back at least, would point out the fact that I am not from there. And I, I do think that that's an advantage to a certain degree. Yeah, it depends. It depends on... <laughs> I don't know. It depends on if there's like civil unrest and you want to try to like meld into the into the general population. I think the same would be true in Italy. Even if someone might notice you were a foreigner, it wouldn't be something that would stand out because you are, like you said, petite. Italians are generally more petite than, say, Americans. They're more likely to have dark hair than Americans are. Well, maybe this is the reason. Why you've been pickpocketed so many times and I never was. That's a big possibility. That's, but I have to say, you know, Derek could not pass as an Italian. I mean, it would be very difficult for Derek to pass as an Italian. There are all sorts of different, you know, there are all sorts of different Italians. My husband has a friend who looks like an Irish man. I mean, he just looks so totally Irish. And he's Italian. You would never guess looking at him that he was Italian. I think what she says, what Surika said about... Remember the guy that she um, she interviewed for the article that had people calling him a fake foreign devil? And he was Chinese descent, but raised in America, I think. Raised in America and then l- living and working in China. That seems to me like, as the world does become more global, that seems like a much harder place to be as an expat where you are Chinese, but you don't have the Chinese culture or language already in you. I feel like that would make it really hard to navigate, or at least the expectations for you would be so high. Yes, but I think that d- could happen anywhere, not just in China. I have friends who are of Italian descent, 100% Italian parents, and they have Italian names and Italian citizenship, usually. And they move over here to sort of, you know, re get in touch with their, uh, their roots and they don't speak the language and they don't understand the culture and they dress like Americans and they talk and act like Americans. And I think they might encounter the same sort of thing. No, I, I, I'm not saying that they wouldn't. I'm saying like that position, that sort of position seems more difficult to me. Not just that I have a darker olive skin tone and so I can pass in Mexico or in Italy or wherever. It's still obvious that I'm not necessarily from there. But if I was Spanish, I don't know. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is 
I think that 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 just seems harder to me. But I mean, what is your descent? You're Welsh, right? Welsh and Irish? English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh is the official story. English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh. You've got basically all of the British Isles covered. Yes, my ancestors were early to America and we were, you know, one of my ancestors was one of the judges at the Salem witch trials. So we've been around for a while. Ah, that's right. One of, one of my ancestors was uh, a governor of Salem. Oh, really? He was, I mean, governor, I guess, isn't the right word. He was the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Company, which, which became Massachusetts. And he was... He wasn't involved in the witch trials, as far as I remember. I mean, not that I was there, but you know. I thought you were going to say one of my ancestors was one of the witches at the trial. <laughs> could be, well, could from be. from the dawn of time, you and I have been entangled with one another. Yeah. <laughs> no, but. For good or for ill. <laughs> but no, I think he named Salem, actually, my ancestor. I think he founded Salem. I think that was the thing. Anyways, his name was Roger, Roger Conant. If you don't believe me, you can look it up. Oh, I believe you. Back to the thing. No, I, what I was trying to say is it just seems to me that if, if you really, really looked like a local, like dead on, that would make it harder. In the sense that people's expectations of you are going to be much higher. Yes, but I think there's some parts in the world where that would be harder. Europe is a pretty liberal place. Anything goes. You can be from there and still be a weirdo and no one's going to really hold it against you. Whereas, as Sureka said, you know, she has the whole incredibly difficult cultural issue of she's from Singapore. She's used to having the freedom to wear short skirts and shorts and walk around and do her thing and be a free, you know, member of society. Whereas maybe the local women are a little bit more reserved, a little more conservative, maybe dress a little bit more conservatively, that might give you some dirty looks. And that would be, you know, that would be really unpleasant. I love that she hasn't changed it, though. Yeah. I mean, that's another question is how much do you change to try to blend in? Like, should I have tried to become more Italian fashionable? Not that I had the money to do so, but we talked about this on a pre on a really early podcast. Okay, this and Yamo. Uh, we talked about this on a really early podcast. We talked about how I don't remember which one it was. Maybe we can link to it. How much do you change to fit into the culture? What do you change? What do you not change? Yep. You might change the way you drink coffee, but you're not going to change what time you have dinner or, or whatever it was. And we talked about changing what we wear and. I think I've done it kind of at 50-50. I think I still wear pretty American-style clothing, but I think I dress a, a little bit more formally. I, there's certain things that I won't wear outside of the house. Like, I won't wear flip-flops outside of the house. I won't wear short shorts unless I'm in amazing shape, which obviously I'm not in right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as half of the people in my neighborhood have so kindly told me. Yes, as we said. I think that for me, in general, there's some things I've accepted, some things I have that have stayed the same. So I guess you got to find your own balance. I think that there are expats who, as they say, go native, and they become like the local people. All of their habits change to fit the local culture. And there are some expats who don't change anything and who live in their own little enclave, and it's like they're not even there. So, I mean... And then there's obviously all the shades of gray in between. So everyone has their own way of, of being an expat, I guess. In a being visible or invisible? 
Or somewhere in the middle. Or somewhere in the middle. So we have to leave it there for now because Tiffany has gone dark. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I think that the sun must have gone behind a building. I'm just kidding. I'm looking at her and the room just went totally dark. We have to leave it there because Tiffany has a dinner appointment. Uh, and she doesn't get to get out very much these days. But can you do me a favor before um, we go and yell to Claudio and ask him if he thinks I would have passed for Italian? If I don't speak, of course. Claudio! Claudio! Vieni qui! Secondo te, se tu potessi vedere Katie sulla strada, così com'è, secondo te penseresti che fosse italiana o straniera? He says you could you could pass. Ask him why I could pass. But perché? Perché per i colori? Because you're Moretta and Magrolina. Ma- Moretta means you're a, like a little brunette. <laughs> it's not just a brunette. It's a little brunette. And Magrolina Magrolina means like very nice, like a thin a thin girl. So you're thin and you're and you're dark and you're small. So that's why he thinks that you could pass for an Italian. So there we go. So all I had to do was keep my mouth shut, and that was generally my strategy. <laughs> Except in the supermarket when you had to say busta. <laughs> yeah, I just have to know how to say yes a bag or no a bag at the grocery store. As we all know that. And I mastered that, by the way. You did. And I also mastered how to ask for a table for two. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll leave it there. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs>